one piece of the answer is awareness, increasing awareness on both sides. So having local communities be more aware of the opportunities. I think a lot of people don't know that you can make money online or how easy it can be with some skill training. And then on the other side, for the foreigner, how, how easy it is to potentially help the local economy through just being more conscious. So yes, you can volunteer. Yes, you can donate or fundraise. And, and yes, you can use your voice for social good. A lot of these nomads are influencers. Um, so they can raise awareness of these things that can make a big impact for someone. Welcome to Chat with Nomads, where we uncover travel insights, business advice, adventure stories, and lifestyle tips with world travelers and digital nomads. Here is your host, Rax, from nomadsunveiled.com. Hi, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Chat with Nomads. Today, we have with us Tarek Kolosi, the founder of Nomads Giving Back and Nomads Skillshare. Hi, Tarek. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for jumping on. I'm glad that we are almost in the same time zone since you are in Bali, so it's easier to coordinate. Um, let's start with an introduction of yourself. Oh, yeah, sure, sure. My name is Tarek. And I'm the founder of Nomads Giving Back and Nomads Skillshare. And uh, funny enough, my name Tarek literally means nomad. And I only found that out uh, a few years ago after I had already embarked on becoming a nomad myself nine years ago. So I found that very uh, serendipitous. Um, yeah, so a short little background about myself. I am, I consider myself at this point a global citizen because I've been living in so many different places around the world. Um, where I was born and raised is in the U.S., in uh, a small town in Pennsylvania called Pottsville. And then I went off to college in D.C. and lived uh, a dozen years in New York City. Um, and then uh, I, in the last nine years or so, I've been living in many different countries, had the opportunity to explore more than 100 countries. Um, and along the way, I fell in love with the nomad movement and, uh, and created Nomads Giving Back three and a half years ago and also Nomads Skillshare about a year ago. Nice. And uh, what's your origin like? Uh, your name is Egyptian, right? Yeah, exactly. So my, my motherland is Egypt, where my family's from, um, a country that's near and dear to my heart. Now, nice. That's super interesting. I didn't know that the name represents nomads as well. That's very interesting, I guess. Mm -hmm. I would definitely love to dive deep into nomads giving back because that, has, that theme has been reoccurring in my past few episodes of my podcast where a lot of people are seeing this movement of nomads creating impact to the local community and of, of course nomad giving back actually focuses on that area of things but i think the listeners would really appreciate and because i also know a bit of your background story i think it's super interesting um to know about your origin story from transiting from corporate america which i assume like a lot of people when they look at you visually <laughs> not to judge a book by its cover will never expect you to be from corporate america because now you have this long hair and stuff right? yeah i'm a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now, now you almost visually looks more like a hippie, but you actually came from corporate America and took the leap of faith and left everything behind and decided to do all this. And it, as I understand, it was not like a sudden turning point, but really a series of events that came together to make you take this, this jump, right? Let's talk a bit about that. Like, how did you start? What was your background before that? And how did it come to be? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, people do laugh at me when I tell them that I used to be a, a suit and tie corporate guy. You know, I was roaming the skyscrapers in New York City, you know, not the world. And uh, I um, now I have the whole man bun look and everything. <laughs> so, it's a cool look, though. Oh, thank you, brother. You too. I love the glasses. <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Thanks. So, yeah, um, I ended up living more of a conventional path from where I come from. You know, I went to a pretty good school and then 
most people in my studying business in college, we went to New York City to join a big company. And at the time, I joined what I thought was my dream job, which was a, a consulting job with a company called Arthur Anderson. Uh, they used to be one of the big six accounting firms. Um, but I happened to join and move to New York City two months before 9-11, um, which was a really you know, tragic day for so many people. Um, and it really affected uh, the economy. Um, and also that company got caught up in a corporate scandal, actually, with Enron. And the whole company went under. And with that went my job. So I started my corporate career on a very rocky road. I went unemployed for six months. And I remember feeling very insecure and vulnerable. And so what happened was it made me create this drive and motivation to prioritize my corporate career above anything else to a fault. And so basically the next dozen years, I just worked my butt off so that way I can continue to grow on the corporate ladder, but at a, to a fault. And like, I, I didn't really take care of my personal development, my well-being, um, and like, you know, it's the typical story. It's pretty common among that, that life in, uh, in the hustle bustle, especially in the corporate wall street type world. Um, you know, I learned a lot along that journey. Um, I, I, I met some really amazing people who taught me a lot, but at some point I realized for me, I was swimming upstream. It, it didn't feel aligned with the life I really imagined for myself. Um, and I started getting more and more curious about the world, about social impact. Um, so I was using my vacation time to get as far as I possibly could from that world, you know, not just geographically, but socioeconomically, culturally. And I would do these volunteer projects in places like Zambia and Kenya and Sri Lanka. And then when I would go back to my corporate life after those vacations, it, it was very stark, the contrast between, you know, what, how I was living my daily life versus what I wanted to do. Um, I was very inspired by these uh, local communities around the world. And also the, the change makers that were there that were there to help. And so in 2013, four serendipitous moments happened in my life um, all around the same time. So number one was, unfortunately, I had a, a loss in my, my family. Uh, my cousin died, um, uh, who was about my age. And it was very sudden. And it sort of like really shook me to the core about how, how precious life is and how it's temporary and made me ask these big questions like, what do I want out of my time in this lifetime? And um, what, do I, what impact do I wanna have? And secondly, um, I was uh, living in New York City when Hurricane Sandy hit. And that storm really affected, um, you know, people died um, and we went without power for four days. And in a big city like Manhattan, it definitely felt like Armageddon-like. So again, it was one of those things that kind of shook me. But Funny enough, I was scheduled to run my very first marathon that same weekend, and it was canceled. Um, and in lieu of that marathon, I volunteered to help some of the victims. And it really showed to me like how, how incredible some of the resilience there is, you know, when you know, it makes you question the everyday life about when, when life is actually at risk. But two weeks later, I did run my first marathon in Philadelphia, the city of my birth. And in many ways, it felt like a rebirth for me because I did the impossible for me, you know, given my background, um, you know, I used to smoke and I was overeating and I just wasn't living a, like a lifestyle of wellness. So for me to run a marathon was impossible. And I thought if I could do the impossible in this part of my life, maybe I could do the impossible in other parts of my life. And then the fourth thing that happened was I met one day a woman who was moving her boxes across the street on a trolley and they were falling off. 
So I ran up and I asked her, can I give you a hand? And she said, sure, thank you. Um, and so I made some small talk with her for like 10 minutes moving those boxes. And I asked her, what's going on? What are you doing? And she said, well, I just finished my first dream. And I asked her, what's that? She said, I, I was working corporate for 15 years in New York City. And I decided to take a sabbatical for a year and go explore the world. And I explored a hundred countries. And I was like, what? Like, how is that even possible? And so then I asked her, um, okay, so now that you're done with your, you know, finishing your dream, you're going to go back to the corporate life. She said, nope. Now I'm going to go after my second dream. And I said, what's that? And she said, now I'm going to go back abroad and create a social enterprise. And again, I was just blown away that some person with a similar age, similar professional background is going after these big dreams that are like literally a dream for me. And like both those things were something I would love to do. But meeting like an everyday hero like Chrissy really inspired me. So those four things happened. You know, my cousin's death and that Hurricane Sandy really affected me about, um, you know, that life is short and that we only get one go at this lifetime. So why not go after your dreams? And then the encouragement of running my first marathon um, and then also seeing this everyday hero living my dream life all happened around the same time. And I think there were signs from the universe to, you know, finally I decided to leave my corporate life behind and face my fears, buy a one-way ticket and go after my dreams. That's interesting. And how, how long was this span of four events? Was it like within a week or within two weeks or? Within, within months, within a few months. Wow, wow. This is very interesting because I think we are also seeing, especially since COVID has, we just got past COVID and we are seeing some of the same factors coming into play whereby people are starting to reflect back on their life due to different incidents or events that happen in their life, right? Of course, there were a lot of deaths that happened, unfortunately, for some people. And then they see that the whole world situation of it. And of course, the introduction of remote work, of course, giving the whole thing a push. And then we're also looking at inspirational people, like people like you who are giving talks, who are going around and sharing the story. So people actually see that, hey, it does not take like anyone super special, like any ordinary person can do it as long as they plan and work towards that particular goal, right? So exactly. I'm curious when you when you mentioned about you first got into corporate America, I'm pretty sure that is a bit of uh, like pressure from society plus from the family, right? Because as an immigrant, and I also come from an immigrant background, so there's always this need to like follow that path and, you know, get a good corporate career and go that route. But when do you realize that doing something like a social enterprise or something that's more close to the ground and related to the common people, it's it's almost a passion of yours. Like, do you know it right after graduation? It has always been like hidden at the back of your mind or is it like as you go through the corporate life, suddenly you realize this is not exactly what I want to do? Yeah, you know, that's a really, really good question. And you just reminded me of something. So I... I, about a year ago, I was playing around on my amazon.com and I found this old wish list, like in a somehow somewhere stored away. And in that wish list was a book saved. And the book was saved on October 11th, 2001. Oh, called that's... How to Start a Nonprofit. And <laughs> it just happened to be exactly one month after 9 11 when I was living in New York City. And that book I never bought. You know, and I ended up doing the corporate thing for a dozen years, like I shared. So it was something in me. And it's, it's interesting, the timing, you know, at that time, I felt a lot of empathy for the, the victims and the world and the economy. And, and it's interesting that when sometimes things in your life or in the world are, are tragic, it really reminds you about what's, what really matters. And I think deep down, I always wanted to have an impact, but 
like you said, with um, being a child of immigrant parents, but also just the world I found myself in, in the competitive business world, um, you end up, you know, surrounding yourself with people and energies that are contagious. So it's so important to surround yourself with the energies who inspire you the most at your core values and what you want out of life, because no matter who you surround yourself with, you're going to naturally think and act and operate like that. And I got caught up in the corporate rat race. I got caught up in the keeping up with the Joneses mentality. Like I, I felt, you know, you need more, you need more money, you need more uh, prestige with your career, you, you know, and at some point, um, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But if it's not aligned with who you are, then it's important to make sure you're climbing the right ladder. If the ladder is on a different wall, at some point you have to climb down that ladder, walk over and climb up the ladder of the wall that you actually, is that you're destined for, that, you, that is aligned with your soul mission, your dreams. Um, and it's hard to go against the social norms, you know? Mm -hmm. So like for me, the biggest challenge, I, I think honestly, the biggest challenge of my life probably was walking away from a, um, that path and having people question me, like, are you crazy? You know, what are you doing? You know, to go against the grain is, is very, it's very tough. Um, but at the same time, it's the best decision I ever made. That, that part is really interesting. I definitely do want to talk about that because I understand, especially many people that come from, let's say the, the first world countries, right? Especially if you're from New York and places which are highly economical, they often find this, this challenge of like transiting because of like external influence friends and family looking at it like what the shit are you doing you're like doing committing like a career suicide or professional exactly. it's just a professionally bad choice right but there's another thing that i really like to talk about and it might be hard to express but i'm just going to ask you and see if you can pick up the point here whereby so coming from new york which is like obviously a very rich bustling society and going to this uh developing countries during your vacations what do you think is the disparity between that 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 impacts you so deeply like we we do see that it's obviously very different right and but what is it deep down when you compare the two things that made you decide to you know push you towards this step of like doing a social enterprise and stuff like that yeah great question you know for me i feel like i won the birth lottery in many ways like i was born into a, a loving family in a country full of opportunity and, you know, not everyone has had that, that luxury at birth. And when I travel to developing countries, including the, my heritage, including my motherland of Egypt, um, you know, if, if I was born into someone else's shoes with their circumstances, I really believe I would be them and, and vice versa. And I believe we're all connected, we're all one. So it, for me, I feel like there's this um, social responsibility when we, some of us that were, have privilege to, to give back. And it's actually not just about helping. It's also a very self-serving. Um, it feels good. It feels good to feel empowered to actually, you know, the world has so many social challenges and a lot of people who are struggling with, with depression and mental health challenges. And it feels good to actually know that I can make a difference. You can make a difference. Every single one of us, small or big, we can make this world better. And um, I know sometimes these things sound cheesy, but it's the truth. It's the absolute truth. I mean, when I was in those high powered six figure jobs in the corporate world, I often felt powerless. I also, I felt insecure because there are so many other people making more money and there's a lot of hierarchy, but there's been times where I've made, you know, zero income. 
um, but I'm volunteering my time or my energy to help someone. And that is where I actually felt rich for the first time in my life. Um, and I really believe in like karma and like helping people um, actually helps you back. Our, our tagline at Nomads Giving Back is inspire yourself, inspire the world. And it's like this virtuous cycle and it starts with the heart. You know, oh, like, that's why the logo is that way. Exactly, exactly. Right, and I, right. That's I interesting. Show. I don't know if you can see it, but it has the tagline. Um, and, nice. And so I believe that it's a, it, you know, it's a virtuous cycle. If you help others, it helps you back. And if you inspire others, you'll be re-inspired. Um, and, and then therefore, like, everybody wins. Right. I, I actually do think that the gift of being able to give is actually one of the biggest gifts in the world. <laughs> like, uh, you know, like you said, I do agree that it's not just helping others, but it's also self-serving in the sense that it, you, you don't only empower others, but you feel the empowerment in yourself when you're able to actually make a significant change or help someone, right? So that's that's really interesting. Let's go back to the topic on like um, the transition, right? So, yeah. so continuing the story, you decided to make the transit, but then of course you get this pressure from from the outside how do you cope with that like like i'm sure when you hear friends and family telling you hey think twice you know are you sure you're doing the right thing there must be some doubts in your mind you're like, hey, am i going crazy or what but how do you cope with that to be able to you know move yeah forward? so I, I i went through this if i if i rewind time to 2013 and i was going through that internal process of making this big decision i decided to surround myself with as many inspirational sources as possible and to remove the ones that were discouraging. And so I started spending more time with inspiring people um, and less time with the people that were like weighing on me. I started, um, I literally had a schedule where I, I, it was like a project. And I said, okay, I'm gonna watch one TED talk every day. I'm gonna spend one hour at least reading book, certain books about happiness, about the meaning of life, about inspiration. I, I started learning more about social impact because that's the path I wanted to take my life in. I started following and reading about change makers and inspiring stories and developing world challenges. Um, and then I decided not to tell anyone once I made the decision, except for the people who I knew who would support me. And then I literally resigned before telling the people who might make me doubt myself, including my family. <laughs> Because <laughs> like you know, sometimes even the people who love you the most can hold you back from the path you're meant to be on and it's not because they don't love you they might love you the most it's because they see life and the world the way they know we're all products of our environment and so um that's what i just need to be careful about is making sure that first step is self-awareness understanding like who you are what you want from life and then once you start to get some level of awareness then project manage life and reverse engineer where you want your life to go to where from where you are now and start taking those steps so finding those people that are living those lives like that woman i met in the streets what did she do where did she go um oh i, I forgot to tell you i later that day when i met her i i wrote her an email saying chrissy you really inspired me I really hope our paths cross again one day. And years later, after I adopted her two dreams as my two dreams, I bumped into her randomly or serendipitously in Bali, uh, where Ooh. I am right now. And that, that, at this point, that was from 2013, that was 2016. 
Um, and now we're good friends. Um, I just chatted with her last week and uh, I always wear her bracelet, the bracelet that she started her social enterprise. It's called the Love Is Project. And it's all nice. about it's all about helping uh, empower women uh, through higher income, through creating these bracelets in developing countries. Um, and I just love how the universe, you know, kind of plays this game with you sometimes, you know, where they, it comes in and out and, and the people who um, can change your life. She literally changed my life. And I told her that when I met her again in 2016, I was like, you changed my life. I went after the same dreams you had. And she was like, who are you again? <laughs> so you never know. You never know what impact you're having. And it's so important to just live your truth. And people will, will, will be inspired by that. And you never know how much you might change your lives. And what, that's it. What, what do you think are some resources that you actually consume during that period that you think might be helpful for others who are like at the same point where, where they are, you know, trying to get over the negativity to go towards the positive side? What are, I don't know, good YouTube channels or good books? Yeah, to read? So for me at the time, it was reading uh, very specific, like reading lots of books about happiness, about uh, meaning in life. Um, for me, what in my particular situation, I love social impact and social enterprises and ideas that are like business and economic, but that has sustainable change. So I read a lot about that um, psychology and then like TED Talks. I actually joined the virtual TED conference at that time where it was like a week long of sessions and you just watch it live on your computer or, or flat screen. Um, and then also uh, physical wellness. I started getting into running at the time. And for me, running became a form of meditation and I started getting addicted to it. So I went from that first marathon and then eventually set a goal to run 25 marathons. Mm -hmm. And I was running them around the world. And for me, once I get past that first hour of running, it even becomes more, um, more like a meditation where I just really tap right. into myself. And, um, and it's, and like, if you're, if you're more aligned with your mind, body, and soul, then everything sort of flows in a, in a smoother way. Nice, nice. And so so now that you have decided to leave and you bought your one-way ticket, where do you go? Well, the, the first stop was my motherland, you know, visit oh, my, okay. my, my ancestors before I see my future. Um, so I spent a week with my family and then I went to Southeast Asia. Um, it was a place that always piqued my interest. Um, and, and I, so sorry, I, at this point, you have never been to Southeast Asia. So this is your first trip to Southeast Asia? My second trip. My okay, um, but yeah, I didn't, I wouldn't say I knew it, you know, I just got, had a taste of it. And so, and then I, um, I really want to get into volunteering. So after a couple of months in Southeast Asia, I did my first major volunteer project, uh, for four months in Kenya, I joined a, an incredible organization called Kiva, K-I-V-A. Uh, yep. they're all about microfinance lending. Uh, and they do, they have this platform where you could lend $25 to a farmer named Mary in Kenya, for example, and someone else lends $25 and 10 more lend $25. And then she'll have this $300 loan where she could, for example, buy two cows and create more revenue from those cows. And then she pays you back over time. And then you can relend that money to someone else and someone else. Um, and so I was a fellow um, helping them grow their impact in Kenya for, for four months. And that was a life-changing experience. It's my first time ever to Sub-Saharan Africa. And it was my first time like really connecting with people at, at um, a very different socioeconomical background um, and seeing how they live their lives, both in the rural areas and in the slums. Um, and it, again, it kind of showed me, it really opened my eyes and opened my heart in ways that hasn't 
before because I just saw both the, the challenges, but also the beauty in the way many people around the world live their lives that I just did not have any exposure to. So mm-hmm. that for me was, was life-changing. Right. Yeah, I definitely do think that that's very impactful because I got my first dose of it. Let's just call it that way. Um, so one of the, the first countries that I traveled that is very far from my origin culture uh, was Mexico. And when I, when, I, when I was traveling around Mexico in the touristic part, let's say, back then it wasn't still as touristic, but the more touristic part like Mexico City and stuff, it was still fine. But it was when you go into the rural areas that you start seeing these things that are, that are kind of just, just a bit shocking because like I've never seen it back home before. And then of course I went to India and, and India is really where you get that, that big dosage of this that you realize that, hey, the, the world is not, not how I know it to be. There's like a lot more outside of it. Um, and, and that definitely does, let's say, make you reflect on your life at least, right? Um, and I'm curious, when you, when you left for Egypt, right? Did you already have a plan that you're going to say work with an NGO or something like that? Or was it like, because this is a new phase of your life, right? So when you left, what was the expectation? Were you like, I don't know what's going to happen. I'm just going to go and see what happens. Or are you like looking at, okay, I'm going to seek out certain enterprises. Or did you go based more on location? Like there are these places that I want to check out to better understand, you know, the world. Yeah, yeah. So in my story, I, I knew I wanted to get into social impact. So I applied for that volunteer fellowship, but didn't know whether I was going to get it or where I was going to be placed um, until after I left. And I still remember from Egypt, some headhunter reached out to me and tried to hire me for a, a job like my previous job. And I remember interviewing for it and was on the fence because I'm like, ah, like, you know, I wasn't so convicted in my choice. I was like, I knew I wanted to, but I, um, I had my doubts and I, I just kept going towards where my, I was trying to make decisions more from my heart than with my mind, you know, like the rational decision is if you could earn good money, you know, go do it. Um, and I had to shift the paradigm in my, in my thought process that it's not all about the money. It's not all about the career path that you were, I was used to. I was literally trying to get off the ladder and climb another ladder on a different wall, but it's so hard to, once you climb kind of high, it's hard to, you know, start over. Um, But, you know, in in economics, that's called a sunk cost. You know, today is the first day of the rest of your life. So let's not let the past hold us back if we want a a different life. Right, right. But I'm I'm sure, I'm sure most of the skills that you learn during your corporate career are still really helpful today when you start your uh, enterprise organization as well as Nomad Skillshare, which is like another initiative, right? So I wouldn't really consider it like a really, really deep sunk cost, but just that the tentacles keep trying to pull you back into that world because of like the materialistic things, uh, to put it that way, because of the pay and everything is obviously way higher, right? Yeah, um, to, be, to be fair, you, you have a good point. Like there definitely have been some transferable skills. Um, but to be honest with you, I, I realized there was a lot of learning I had to do um, working for big companies, even if they're like successful, like I worked for like Goldman Sachs for a while, you know, you can't not learn a lot. I learned a lot, but to be an entrepreneur, especially a social entrepreneur, um, I had a lot to learn and I'm still learning every day. Um, so I think it just goes to show that it's about experience, you know, getting real hands on experience with what you want to do is, is invaluable. Um, and sometimes you just have to jump off the cliff and uh, and build a parachute on the way down. 
Yeah, that, that, that's definitely a good analogy of like entrepreneurship. So, so after that, you started traveling, right? And I thought I, your goal is to basically visit also like a lot of countries and check out the, the different communities around the world. What, what strikes you as the most impactful throughout your journey of just the travel part that you experience? Oh, that's a good one. Um, impactful in terms of uh, like personal growth? Uh, personal growth, yeah. I would say. So the one I just mentioned about spending four months in Kenya was very impactful on a, on a level of finding my personal why. That was for me when I realized, okay, I do want to have social impact as my main profession. Like that's what I want to, my, my purpose. Um, in terms of like other personal goals, there's been other countries like, like Nepal. Nepal plays a special place in my heart because I went there um, on a self-exploration and I, I set some personal goals there. Like I, I signed up for something called the Everest Marathon. It's the world's highest marathon in altitude that starts at Everest Base Camp. And I took that month offline for the first time going offline like that in my life. Um, and I went vegetarian. Like I just tried these different things. Um, and for me, that was a very, and being in the beautiful Himalayas um, and surrounded by these villages and Sherpas who were so resilient, it was just like a very inspiring experience. Um, what else? I did the craziest thing in my life in India. You just mentioned India. Uh, I drove a rickshaw, like a tuk-tuk. A tuk-tuk. <laughs> okay. I drove one across India for 4,000 kilometers from top to bottom. Oh, uh, my God. And that thing, that was the craziest thing. I mean, it broke down 20 times. Um, I thought I was going to die like every hour because <laughs> the driving there is insane. Yeah. Um, and But it was so cool to like have that adventure of, you know, getting lost literally all the time and and questioning my assumptions. And every time I broke down, people were there to help me within minutes. They were there to help. So I just love this sense of community that is rare to find in the world that people want to help strangers um, all the time. Um, and I had a lot of like, you know, beautiful retreats in places like Bali, where I am um, in Colombia. Um, so a lot of like spiritual growth in these places. And uh, yeah, the list goes on and on. But those are a few of my favorites. And, and so after you have traveled extensively, what made you decide to stop? And what, why do you choose Bali? <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes I like to think that I went to the buffet. And I sampled a lot of dishes. Right. And, and after a while, I started, you know, getting less hungry. And I would just go for seconds to my favorite few dishes. And then mm -hmm. now, you know, I'm pretty full. And I'm just going back to my favorite one or two dishes. And so my favorites are Bali and Colombia. And the last few years, that's where I spent most of my time. Which um, part of Colombia are you referring to? Medellin. Mm, okay. So yeah. one city and one, let's say, more rural area. Yeah, yeah. That's a good way to put it. Um, yeah, both places are special, uh, for me, you know, like I said, I had a lot of personal growth in these two places, a lot of, um, I met a lot of inspiring people, uh, and, and built community, um, around, you know, people that have shared values and interests. Um, the, the local communities in both places are incredible, very warm and hospitable, full of life, full of tradition. Um, and the nature in both places, although they're different are very like just incredible, um, and I feel blessed to have lived in places like these two. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, you know, for a while I was having that first conversation 
with like a hundred people, like every week, every month I was moving around, like, where are you from? How are you doing? Like I'm from this place. <laughs> Although, you know, that first conversation you have so many times. And after a while, I was just craving to have that hundred conversation with one person. You know, I wanted to build uh, deeper relationships in my life. Um, I still value travel. I think it's really good to step outside your comfort zone, um, to question your assumptions. It, it, you know, a little chaos in our life is good because it creates inspiration and new connections and creativity. Um, but at this point in my life, I'm also craving a lot of stability because I think that's where you can get a lot more impact through routine and structure. Um, and I, you know, I, I just think it's important that we, we understand our why, you know, for a while I was exploring the world, ultimately to explore within. And I think you can also explore within without necessarily exploring the world. Um, right, right. So do you think you have achieved your, I don't know if you had an expected goal when you started traveling, right? Until you settled down. Do you have a goal and do you think that goal has been achieved at least? Yeah, well, it's funny because I, I like I mentioned, I adopted um, Chrissy's dream goal of 100 countries as my own. And when I hit that 100 country, I don't think I've been to a new country since. <laughs> <laughs> so if I, I pull from the buffet um, and, you know, listen, this it was such an arbitrary goal. But part of the reason why I said that was because I was just fascinated with different cultures and I did not want to fall back to my old life. And I wanted to set a big goal that would keep me going for a while until I knew there was no going back. So it yeah. served me well with my personal path and knowing myself and what, how I tick, what makes me tick. But um, it's not about a number and it's not about, it's really about understanding who you are, what you want and what serves you well. And for a while, it was serving me really well to keep going. And now at this point, um, it's serving me well, just being in the places that I love the most. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you know, I had the opportunity to connect with people all over the world, like right now talking to you in Singapore. Um, so sometimes I feel like I'm exploring the world vicariously through other people, you know, like one of my best friends right now is doing a fundraiser. Um, in Sierra Leone, uh, she's on her team. And um, now I'm hearing about what it's like to be in Sierra Leone. So, mm. you know, we can also just explore the world uh, virtually sometimes too. <laughs> For sure. And, and a lot of people and nomads pass through Bali. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. exactly. So, so that, that is definitely a good place to, to be able to capture stories from other people, I would say. So, yes. so let's, let's talk about nomads giving back, right? So after, yeah. after you end up in Bali, how did nomads giving back come about? Like, after your travel, you decided to settle down in this place. But what created the concept for this thing? Sure, sure. So I mentioned I was backpacking for a while, and then I started to slow down, and I found myself gravitating to these so-called nomad hubs. And I found myself in Bali in 2016, um, spending time at this co-working hub, a few of them actually. And I fell in love with the nomad movement. I loved how they were you know, leaving the conventional life behind going after their dreams, like creating something. Um, and I would often ask them, because I knew I wanted to get into social impact. I'd ask them, so how are you connecting with locals? And how are you giving back to the community? And most of the time they say the same thing. I don't know. But if you figure it out, let me know, because I want to do the same thing. And so when I heard that enough times, I recognized that there's this gap, an opportunity to mobilize the collective power of the movement. And and help solve that problem. I want to get back and I don't know how. Mm -hmm. And that was the beginning of it. That's really the, the why behind Nomads Giving Back. And then I found myself um, having the opportunity to give a talk about my personal life and my personal journey and the goals I have. 
Um, and I used that opportunity, it was on the nomad cruise to talk to 500 nomads in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean about the concept. And I launched the concept of nomads giving back to inspire you to get back to the communities you call home away from home. And uh, that was three and a half years ago. And it's been a beautiful journey since then. We, I had my first uh, project and event in Brazil where we landed. And then I moved over to Medellin, Colombia, where that was really the beginning of the, the organization where we, we built a team and started having lots of events, you know, bringing together leaders of social causes um, and lots of foreigners and expats and, and being that bridge between the two communities. And we had all different types of events from impact panel discussions to masterminds, to workshops, to impact trips. Um, and I, I, I love both Medellin and Bali. So I was kind of going back and forth between the two, building those two hubs and having local team members and local relationships and partnerships uh, simultaneously. And then uh, eventually the pandemic hit and I found myself in Bali at the time. Um, and so I, I, you know, obviously we know what happened there. So I just stayed in Bali for a while and it became a, a more of an expat here. Although I still have some of my heart in Colombia. So I was there recently. I was there a few months ago um, and held a couple of events there. And, and yeah, we've had events in uh, more than 10 different countries, um, about 130 of them now. Uh, we have, you know, I like to think of our impact in three ways. There's advocacy, fundraising, and volunteering. And advocacy is all about using your voice for social good. So we have this amazing team uh, behind us, more than 100 volunteers and ambassadors all around the world. Um, and advocacy is a lot of what we do. We, we, we use our social media, no one's giving back, um, our newsletters, our Facebook groups to spread the word of like all these great work that social causes are doing, how people can help. Um, and then uh, we support a lot of fundraising efforts around the world. And then finally, volunteering. Um, not only is our team full of volunteers, but we really advocate for volunteers for our partners around the world. We have a free volunteer matching program. So if anyone's feeling inspired, uh, but doesn't know where to start, um, we have an application form on our website and people can get placed and matched with a cause that they're passionate about using a skill that they either have or want to develop. Um, and then along the way, uh, pretty much during the pandemic, uh, when we realized we couldn't have events all the time uh, or at all for a while, we decided to go deeper into Skillshare. And, mm -hmm. you know, we thought it probably makes sense to build a new brand uh, called Nomad Skillshare so right. that they, it's, it's clear about what that's about. And so with Nomad Skillshare, we're empowering you to learn the skills to live the lives you imagine. Um, so now we have courses about remote work skills, uh, like how to get a dream online job, how to become a social media manager, how to become a virtual assistant, one about solopreneurship. Um, and it's all about community learning. So we have a community right. thing at Nomad Skillshare. So, so I want to dive deeper first on the giving back part, right? Mm -hmm. Because I, I, I reckon when I hear you say it, and when I first heard about Nomad's giving back, the scope seems very big, right? Like without diving deep, I will not understand whether when we talk about volunteering, was it more towards social volunteering, which most people might imagine like going to help out with maybe in an old folks home or some stuff like that or building like a, a village or things like that right. versus the other part, which I'm seeing coming up a lot, which is skill shares and knowledge transfer to yes. local communities, which might be more towards what Skillshare is trying to do. Um, but just based off like your, because Nomads Giving Back have been around for like a few years now, from that experience, what are the most more prominent activities or, or category of activities that are beneficial to the local communities? What are people generally looking for? Yeah, you know, you summarize that really well. I think, uh, thanks, for, thanks for elaborating on that because 
there is this conception, this idea that volunteering is like, you know, building a house, yeah. you know, school or something and using your hands. Um, the vast majority of the volunteering that comes through our organization or through our matching program is about sharing digital skills, sharing, sharing entrepreneurial skills, the skills that people are usually earning their income from. Um, you know, when I meet with these leaders of social causes, I often hear the similar types of needs. It's how do I get my message out there? How do I, how do I, um, you know, grow our social media? Um, how do I improve our website? How do we like, how do you scale the impact? Um, and, and it's a common gap that is also a common skill that nomads have because a lot right. of them are entrepreneurs or freelancers that have gone through that either for their own business or that's their actual profession. Um, and, and secondly, like a lot of these causes are looking for more connection to the foreigners that are visiting their countries. Um, and, and that's what's been really great about what we do is that we are, we are a bridge. A lot of people are coming to us trying to connect with the causes and the causes are trying to connect with the foreigners. So it's a, it's a, a really nice fit. Um, you know, so for example, like let's say one of them is trying to have an event and do a big fundraiser event, but they want to invite the foreigners. They may not have that as their community, um, but we do. And so we help, we help connect them. Um, but I would say the number, the, the top say three skills is digital marketing. Um, a lot of these social entrepreneurs and, and nonprofit founders, they either don't have the capacity or the interest to get big into social media. Right. Uh, a lot of them are very humble. They're just like these people that just wanna, you know, for example, like help kids get a better education, but they don't care about Instagram. I just was on a panel discussion last week at a co-working hub and one of the fellow panelists said, he's like, we struggle with Instagram. I know we need to be there because that's where a lot of the people are that we need to reach. He's like, but I was afraid of it and I don't have the skills for it. He was just very open about it, but he's amazing at building educational programs for the local Indonesians that need it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's where we tr love to try to have the biggest impact is people who might have a passion for social media um, and it's easy for them to, to share that skill. Um, you know, yeah, we can build walls and, that's, and schools and that's really helpful sometimes, but it's not necessarily the best use, the optimal use of someone's skill. Like for example, if you had, if someone was building a hospital in Africa, would you want the heart surgeon to be the one building the bricks or <laughs> the heart surgeon doing heart surgery? Right? So right. having the optimal resource allocation will optimize the impact for everyone involved. Yeah, that, that's very interesting because when I hear you say that, everything just clicked because I, I remember a few years back, there was always this initiative of like, you know, school sending kids or students basically overseas to do all these community service programs. And sometimes it involves like building stuff. And I'm not saying that all these programs are bad, but there has been a bit of like rumors or flip side saying that actually when you send unskilled labor to a place like this and do stuff, it's actually less efficient because now the workers have to go and teach the kids how to build the thing and then now everything becomes slower instead, right? And, and so when your skill doesn't fit in the, in the proper places, it might not work the best way. And, and when you started saying that actually when you fit digital nomads into the digital skills, that were almost really like, it's almost, am I right to say that basically the nomads are not helping the end beneficiaries, but they're helping the cost that's helping the end beneficiaries. So that's why the digital skills come into play because it optimizes the whole process and allow them to maybe utilize more resources or create more awareness to be able to deliver more benefits to the end beneficiaries. I think you summarized that really well. I think that's the, the majority of the cases uh, to have the optimal impact 
it's using your highest level of skill that can provide the most impact indirectly. Directly is great too. And you know, listen, you mentioned the example of like, sometimes it, you know, going to a developing country and, and building something can be um, almost a negative impact. Sometimes it can be, but it's really, really complicated. And I think that it's important to be forgiving of people who are having good intentions and trying to have an impact um, and realizing that it's all, it's all a journey. And obviously we wanna follow best practices as much as possible, right? Because if our intentions are to have a good impact, then let's have a good impact. Um, but I have seen people holding, you know, social impact leaders and, and people trying to get into social impact to a much higher standard than they would anyone else. And, you know, I, I feel like that can be quite discouraging. I've heard people say, you should never volunteer abroad because you're taking people's jobs. And it's not, it's not that simple. I think that it's really important. Like if I never volunteered building, I build homes with Habitat for Humanity in places like Africa and China. Um, if I never did that one week project, there would be no nomads coming back, all right? So that was a very important step in my personal journey to fall in love with giving back, to actually go create something that's hopefully gonna have a much, much bigger impact. Um, and um, yeah, I just wanted to make that point that social impact is a very complex thing. And I, I just think that it's important for people to have the best intentions and to support people who are trying to make a difference. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think that's where like an organization like yours actually plays a part because like you say, a lot of not just nomads, right? Even travelers I've heard, like they love to go to a country and contribute, but to navigate the landscape on like, which exactly. cost do I reach out to? How do I reach out to? How do I do all this logistical stuff? Becomes a really big issue, right? And it becomes a deterrence whereby people just be like, I can't figure this, this thing out. Although they have the best intention, but it's so complicated to contribute that they have no idea where to start, right? And having like a middleman organization like yours that are able to connect the parties together and bridge the skills, I think that's really helpful um, in terms of, you know, gathering the resources together. Exactly, exactly. And we also try to teach, you know, the best practices of volunteering, you know? Like honoring your commitment is an important one. A lot of times people have the best intentions. They feel inspired for like a month, but they don't follow through on their commitment. And then you end up leaving that cause worse off because they invested in, in you before the ROI came back. Um, yeah. Or um, sometimes volunteers don't come in with the best attitude because they, they think they know better, um, but they need to listen, understand that there's unique social challenges and cultural cha differences that need to be factored in. Um, mm -hmm. So I feel like, you know, there's a saying that we have two ears and one mouth for a reason. We should listen <laughs> twice as much as we talk. So, you know, I think it's really important for uh, people to come in very humbly and respectful and curious to understand why things are the way they are and, and have the respect enough to understand that people probably tried certain things that didn't work. And that's for mm -hmm. a reason why, why you think it might work because of your background. Um, yes. So there's many different best practices. Um, and and, uh, you know, but at the end of the day, the most meaningful moments in my life was when I was giving back in some way. Um, right. And, and it has helped me grow personally and professionally um, as well. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And let's talk about Nomad Skillshare now then. Like, how does it, when you guys decided to split it into a separate branding or organization, even where do you guys see the cutting line right now? Or is it like still a bit blurry and you guys are figuring it out? Because it's like a year, a year plus only, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So we're we're one organization, one team, and the we are a social enterprise. So the Nomad Skillshare is the business model uh, that we have to support Nomad's Giving Back's uh, mm. efforts. 
And it's all about, it's a very similar overlapping mission um, in terms of we are empowering you to learn the skills to live the life you imagined. That's our vision. And we're primarily starting with remote work skills. Um, we have an online community platform and we offer like masterclasses and workshops and courses. Um, and what I love about even just Nomad Skillshare is also very impactful. Uh, we have a buy one, give one scholarship program. So for every course that someone buys, we give a scholarship to a less privileged student, um, usually from local communities and places like where nomads hang out, like Indonesia, Colombia, elsewhere. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, when I when I think about where a typical expat nomad is having their, you know, their $3 cappuccino working on the laptop, what's the difference between that usually young person using their skill like, like web design or social media and the person serving them that $3 cappuccino who's probably making that amount of money in half a day or a day, it's a skill. And some of these skills these days are not Harvard PhDs, you know, mm -hmm. that require years and years of education and hundreds of thousands of dollars. These are skills that people can learn in a matter of weeks or months that cost hundreds or maybe a few thousand dollars. And it's amazing that people, it'll, that, that small barrier can, deter, can, can determine someone's entire life journey between that 25-year-old nomad on their laptop drinking the cappuccino and that waitress who is serving it. Um, so that's what I love about our, our strategic approach, our impact approach of being more inclusive by giving some of these skills uh, to, to those who need it the most. And then secondly, like people, you know, even the nomads and expats, they're craving connection as well. And what I love is that we are offering it from a more of a community approach through our events, through our courses. We, we think we can learn and have more fun together um, and finally, even from the teacher's perspective, so many of my friends in this field are doing this all by themselves. They're solopreneurs. They're trying to be the expert in their skill that they're teaching, whatever that is. But then they have to create their own marketing. They have to find, do their own sales. They have to figure out their own accounting, their own finance. Like really we're a collection of individuals. And as opposed to an organization that has like a leadership and structure and efficiencies and divide and conquer approach, so I love the, the framework that we're doing where we're trying to build a coalition, a community where we can help each other achieve our own goals. But as, as a whole, we're all having an even a bigger impact um, by, by sharing, um, by sharing you know, the whole thing. Mm, that's interesting. And I assume that for Skillshare, everything is uh, doable online or is it like a fully physical presence thing? So good question. We, we've done both and we plan to do both both online and offline. Our first course we did in person here in Indonesia, and that was specifically for locals um, on a scholarship basis. And for, for now, uh, recently, like about six months ago, we launched our first three courses that we created ourselves, how to get your dream online job, how to become a social media manager, how to become a virtual assistant. And now we're expanding a marketplace concept where we're finding teachers that we, we love what they're doing, it's aligned with their values, and they're joining us on our marketplace and we're helping to, to, to help each other out, cross-promote. Um, and and yeah. are these like pre-recorded courses or is it like a live one-to-one -one session or is it a mixture of both? What kind of models are working, yeah. you guys working with? We, we want to do both. Uh, the current courses right now are pre-recorded and they have like worksheets and, and quizzes and uh, we have a community platform where people students can chat with each other and we can talk to them. Um, and we're ready and prepared to do live programs as well. Um, but we're still early on that journey. And mm -hmm. 
And yeah, it's all about finding the right time for us to try different things. So we tried the in-person, we tried the pre-recorded. And once we get enough demand and following and, and community, um, we can also do, um, like for example, we've done uh, live masterclasses and workshops, um, both in person and online. And our next one is later this month. So I think I, I would love to do live courses as well uh, mm -hmm. again in the future. Nice. Yeah, I think, I think the live courses have like, an interesting element to it because you talk a lot about community building and I do believe that that's a that's a huge element to it. I mean, of course, pre-recorded courses are a proven business model, right? But there's yeah. always this this saying that actually when a lot of people buy the course, it's not just for the materials, but really the community of a class, you know, like the group of people that are learning oh, together with you to move towards a certain goal. Uh, yeah. you're, you're reminding me of like when we did our, our first course in person here in, in Bali, we did it in person. But then there are a couple students that like couldn't make it, you know, in person. So they would join remotely because so we had a flat screen at the end of the classroom. And then we had three workshops where our ambassadors from around the world joined in and taught the in-person class with me um, on their expertise. And so I love the whole the whole situation because like my friend, our ambassador, Jordan, who's the remote job coach, he's an expert in that. He taught a session on you know, how to optimize LinkedIn um, from Mexico. And then our friend Virginia, who's an expert in HR, she taught about like how to have the best resume, you know, um, or, or interviewing, I think it was. And I, it's just amazing how with technology and in the live dynamic, like you said, we can really bridge the gap and bring those resources together. Yep, yep. And that that's it. On the Nomads Giving Back concept, is it also purely physical or do you guys do remote? Because it sounds like a remote model might even be possible for that, right? Oh, no, we do, we do both. Um, so in terms of our events, you know, we've had 130 events and more than half were in person and many of them were online. Um, in terms of <clears throat> the volunteering, a lot of it is remote, uh, mm. both for our organization and for our partners. Uh, the majority of it is remote. Um, but whenever you can get in person, like I'm old school, like you said, like I <laughs> love bringing people together like in person. Um, I feel like that's where the magic happens. But, you know, technology also has its benefits of bringing us like right now, I wouldn't have met you and had this amazing interview if we didn't connect remotely. So, yeah, you know, sure. it's about, you know, optimizing what we have, you know. But when you, do, when you do come to Bali, I'll show you around. I can't wait. <laughs> for sure, for sure. I'm definitely looking into it. One of my friends is like traveling around Southeast Asia at the moment. So I'm like trying to also be able to catch him depending on where he is. So, okay. But Bali is definitely in my mind, in my mind at the moment, <laughs> since it's oh. so near as well. Yeah. Um, and what, what do you think is the, looking at it now that the pandemic is hopefully coming to an, to a closure, does it impact you guys in any way or do you see like, what's the future path? Yeah, I, um, I, I went on a, my first trip in two years just recently. And when I came back to Bali, it was a different Bali because it was <laughs> locked down for two years when I was here. And we had this like very intimate community where we almost like, it felt like we knew everyone. And I came back and it was like, oh my God, where did all these tourists come from? So it, it's definitely changing things now that it's back, getting back to normal. Um, I mean, I see, I'm, I'm sure I'm not alone here, but remote work is here to stay. The number of nomads is going to continue to grow and expats. Um, there's no doubt about that. It's just a matter about like how much. And I think, you know, I'm really excited about our future at our organization because we've established ourselves as like, the, the thought leaders and the impact community for nomads. Um, and with Nomad Skillshare, I feel like it's, a, it's, it's still a pretty unique concept in terms of mobilizing the collective power in a very inclusive way of locals. Um, and so with places like Bali that is being flooded with new expats and nomads, it creates a lot more opportunity for us to have 
more uh, events and masterclasses and volunteering opportunities. Um, and being that, just being that conscious voice because we have consequences. We all have an impact, whether it's positive or negative. And a lot of the negative impact, it's not even, it's not intentional. It's not even probably sometimes not even noticeable, but what are, what impact are people having when they come to a country that they're not from? Are they, are they, you know, paying taxes? Usually not. Are they using the service, the resources? Yeah. Are they having an environmental impact? Yeah. So just trying to help create more opportunities so people can be informed on what the challenges are, um, inspired to give back and empowered. Like what are the ways to give back? Um, what are the ways to share skills? What are the skills that are needed? So I think, I think as the movement starts to continues to grow exponentially, I would love for our team, uh, our amazing team around the world to continue to help be that, that bridge and that voice. Right. I, and I'm going to throw you a hot potato and I think you, you sort of address it in what you just right. said, but, but this is very interesting question because especially in the, in the context of Bali, because you were talking about nomads having impacts around the world, right? And we have seen that with tourists before in terms of the pros and cons of tourism. Sure. And of course, now that the nomads become like a more significant movement that's been talked about it, like, hey, nomads are going to these places and then they are disturbing the tradition and then they're increasing the price and stuff like that. And of course, Bali is one place that a lot of nomads go to. And I have heard about, I haven't been to Bali myself, as I mentioned, but <laughs> there have been other nomads also saying that there's this problem, of course, of that when there's too many nomads con congregating in one place, it dilutes the culture a bit. And then, of course, when you get business, then companies want to come in and try and capitalize, and then they start building all these resorts and shit. And then now the whole place gets a bit, uh, you know. So, so in that sense, how do we as nomads try to mitigate that? And also, how do we give back so that, you know, the positive will always outweigh the negative? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're hitting it on the head. I mean, I think about this all the time. You know, Bali is 80, for example, is, you know, close to 80% dependent on tourism. And so, you know, enter the pandemic and then all of a sudden, what does the economy do? And they were closed for like two years. So it really, really affected the local economy. Um, and that's where I think, for example, Nomad Skillshare's mission can really help is that how can you diversify the economic opportunities for people you know, it's if if I was a Balinese person, of course I would probably enter tourism and 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 go where the where the economic opportunity is. But it if there's more of a diversification uh, in the economy that that helps. So that means at least trying to bring education and opportunities to where people may not be aware of it already. Um, so I think I think your question is a big one, but one piece of the answer is awareness, increasing awareness on both sides. So having local communities be more aware of the opportunities. I think a lot of people don't know that you can make money online or how easy it can be with some skill training. And then on the other side, for the foreigner, how, how easy it is to potentially help the local economy through just being more conscious. So yes, you can volunteer. Yes, you can donate or fundraise. And, and yes, you can use your voice for social good. A lot of these nomads are influencers. Um, so they can raise awareness of these things that can make a big impact for someone. Um, as simple as shopping, right? I mean, we're all spending money. Are we, are we mindful of where we're, in, where we're spending our money? Are we going to local restaurants or just the Instagram foreign owned ones? You know, are we, are we like um, being mindful to going to places where foreigners are? There's a socioeconomic barrier often where we're living in bubbles, 
the, the locals aren't hanging out where the foreigners are and the foreigners aren't hanging out where the locals are. You know, I had an event at a co-working hub here once where I asked the group of 60 people, um, how many of you have at least 10 Indonesian friends? <laughs> One out of the 60 raised their hand. And then I asked the Indonesians who I invited to come, uh, who normally don't go there. I asked, okay, will all of you stand up? And 11 of them stood up. And, I, and then I said, okay, guys, before you leave today, introduce yourself to these 11 Indonesians and become friends with them so you can have 10 friends in Indonesia. So it's not intentional. There's no judgment here. Um, I often go to places and I haven't you know, made local friends as many as I would like. But where are you spending your time? Are you going to the co-working hub that costs more money than the locals can go to and to the gym that costs more money and to the restaurants that cost more money and to the clubs? Um, and that's where I think it's important to try to find opportunities that are more culturally related. And that's where volunteering can really be beautiful sometimes because it's a way to tap in and enter that world. Um, and, and literally sometimes just having one good relationship can make a, can open up your eyes to these things that we didn't, weren't even aware of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's, you brought up a good point because yeah, that's another thing that I've really heard of regularly whereby nomads just go to a place and they hang out with just a group of nomads, which then sort of defeats the purpose of traveling in some sense. Right? I mean, yes, like I still love to meet other travelers because I think other travelers have their own stories which are very interesting to hear. But you also want to try and blend into the local life because that's the one of the other reasons why you're even traveling, right? If you're just hanging out within a bubble in itself, then it gets a bit a bit weird, right? So so that's interesting. So exactly. to to conclude, right? Actually, are there any certain skill sets that you guys are, are finding to be high in demand in terms of giving back? but like you don't have as much people applying for? Good question. I, I, I continuously see challenges with social causes looking to um, grow their awareness of their mission. So that relates to digital marketing. But the number one thing is usually financial sustainability. So mm -hmm. that can relate to either fundraising if you're a traditional nonprofit or if you're a social enterprise, business development like how to build, help build and support the, the revenue streams. Um, a lot of these change makers are so passionate about the one thing that they're really good at, but they don't have the team, they don't have the resources or the time to, to build it as a sustainable, scalable thing. Um, right. And th the only way to really do that is through, um, the, the resources are usually financial and people, and the people is the skills. So that's where volunteering, if it's done the right way, can be a game changer for a social cause. Um, it's also a great way for the volunteer to learn and develop new skills. There's been times where I've taken on volunteers who aren't experienced in what they're, what they're um, helping out with, but it's their opportunity to get a foot into that field and to say, like, after, you know, learning hands-on on the job, um, and then they can take that and bring it to their future career. Um, so yeah, to summarize your question, I think it's about scalability of the organization, whether it's fundraising or business development and also the digital marketing. Right, I, I definitely want to echo that because when I first heard you talk about doing Nomad Skillshare as a business model to be able to sustain the Giving Back initiative, and this was an area that I actually looked into years ago when I, that was the first time I went to India and it was actually to help a non-profit organization that deals with like, um, they fight for the rights of the camel track herders in northern India, right? And, and the problem with these organizations is that they are very dependent on government grants and stuff to, to continue their operations. But this also means that whenever the government grants disappear, then the whole organization cannot sustain, right? right. So one of, the, one of the reasons I was there was also to look into 
spinning off almost a commercial arm, which can help them to sustain their operations. So this came in terms of like creating ecotourism in Northern India together with the camel herders or like making like camel, camel dung paper. So you take the camel dung and then you make it into recycled paper or like ice cream that's made out of camel milk and those kind of initiatives that make it a bit more commercial. So they can start making some income that's able to make the whole model more financially sustainable just within their whole organization. So that's definitely a big part or like that's almost a significant problem that a lot of nonprofits actually face. So mm -hmm. that would be an area that I think uh, a lot of commercial mindset might come in and be able to contribute in that aspect, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's really cool that what you did. And uh, I think that's a great illustration. Cool, cool. And so if people want to look for you or to catch up with you to figure out how they can contribute when they go to a certain place, where do they look for you? What are the best avenues to find out about the initiative and, you know, participate in it? Yeah, absolutely. So from an organizational standpoint, um, Nomads Giving Back and Nomad Skillshare, it's uh, just look us up on it on social media. We are on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Um, and our websites are the same, nomadsgivingback.com, nomadskillshare.com. You're welcome to join our community, get involved, uh, apply to join our team, or join as a volunteer to our partners, um, or take our courses, apply for our scholarships, so many ways to get involved. Um, and feel free to reach out to me directly. I love hearing from people around the world. Um, you can find me on Instagram at tarik.world or on LinkedIn, Tarik Kalusi. I'm sure the details will be below. And um, yeah, no, I'm really, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to chat with you, Rex. Yeah, thank you. For sure, I'll definitely drop your contact details in the show notes because I don't think the spelling is easy for your name. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. All, all the details will be in the show notes. And thank you for your time, Tarik. It's a lot easier. <laughs> yeah, for sure. All right. Thank you for coming on today and sharing. I think there was a lot of insights here. And I do think a lot of people benefit from both your personal story and how you actually took the leap of faith to get to living a life that you actually, that is true to your own core and what you want to do, as well as learning how, you know, like if they're traveling around, how they can give back to the local community. Yeah, absolutely. And I just want to thank you. And I, I listened to some of your other podcasts, uh, one with a good friend of mine, Gonzalo. Um, and I, I just love like, like your style, the questions that you ask are really thought-provoking. Uh, and I appreciate your support. Thanks so much, brother. Thank you so much. We'll catch up again soon. Thank you for listening to Chat with Nomads. Please remember to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to share with your friends. Also, we'd love to know what topics you'd like to hear more about. To stay updated on the latest, join us on our mailing list at chatwithnomads.com. You can also find more travel and nomading tips at Nomads Unveiled. That's N-O-M-A-D-S-U-N-V-E-I-L-E-D.com. Start living your dreams today. We'll catch you in the next episode.